Our scripture lesson today is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. Listen now to God's word. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. If indeed, when we have taken it off, we will not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan under our burden, because we wish not to be unclothed, but to be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, even though we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we do have confidence, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may receive recompense for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. This is the word of God for the people of God. Be God. You may be seated. Let's pray together. God, we pray that we'll have uh, open hearts and minds and spirits to what we are about to hear. This is not an easy topic. It's kind of like that sex talk they're going to have at youth tonight, Lord. Um, judgment is um, a sobering theme of Scripture and one we'd, we'd rather not hear preached. But today, um, today we look at this uh, reality that each of us will face, and that is the judgment seat of Christ. So come, Holy Spirit, come and speak to us. And bring conviction to our hearts concerning sin, conviction concerning the truth of your word, and empowerment to live changed and transformed lives. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have, have you ever wished uh, that uh, someone would get what he or she deserved? Anybody ever have those feelings? Um, we all long for a world that is fair and just, do we not? Where right wins over wrong, where good people finish first, and where bad people pay for their deeds. But this doesn't seem to be the norm. As a result, some of us are angry. We become bitter and even vindictive in the face of injustice. I had a woman meet with me many years ago, a wife and mom in our church whose husband had been unfaithful to her, and she was boiling with rage. And the man lost his job because of, of this whole situation, and she was gleeful about the loss, even though she and her children would be dependent upon his income to take care of them. Bishop Will Willimon says justice seems so rare in real life, but not in the Bible. The Bible loves to take some sleazy person, let him strut across for an hour upon his stage, and then zap. 
there's fire or a flood or a lion, and then he's history. It's delicious, the bishop writes, to see the bad guys get what they deserve. We, we call this payback, poetic justice. The Bible calls it judgment. And the problem with judgment for us at a personal level is that we often crave for others what we ourselves shall one day receive. Hundreds of years ago, this English word desert, also pronounced dessert, meant more than a piece of pumpkin pie. Uh, it was spelled like the word desert. It had one S, not two, but it wasn't talking about some arid wasteland. It had an entirely different meaning, this word dessert. The phrase, just desserts, you've heard it, right? This phrase, just desserts, referred to a punishment or reward that was exactly what someone deserved. They're just desserts. Pastor Lee Eckloff was hanging out at a, at a bagel shop in his community one day with some friends who were not Christians. And he had been seeking to share, uh, you know, his own story, his faith story and the gospel with them. And he asked them, he said, what's, what's one important thing that I can be praying for you about? And the woman was taken aback. She said, well, health, I guess. And he said, health? That's not the most important thing. Sooner or later, your health is going to go. It's going to fail. And prayer is not going to do anything about that. There must be something more important than health that you need prayer for. And she was stumped. And she just said, well, what's more important than my health? And he said, well, what about your relationship with God? And she responded, I never thought about that. Then her husband, who had been quiet during this conversation, spoke up and said, you mean to tell me that God is going to haul me into some kind of court or something? And Lee paused for a moment and said, yep, I guess you could say that. We get a lot of prayer requests every week on those tear-offs from your bulletin. Uh, and most of them are about health, prayers for healing, for uh, alleviation of suffering, which is all good. I had uh, several people pray for me three weeks ago today in this sanctuary after uh, we had our Halloween party out there on the parking lot. And uh, I haven't had a migraine since. Glory to God. It's, it's a tremendous answer to prayer uh, in my own life. However, However, very few of us ever ask for prayer that we should live a life that is pleasing to God so that one day we will hear, as Scott told the kids this morning, well done, good and faithful servant. We'd rather not think about or talk about judgment because God is love, right? We're United Methodist. We're all about the love of God in the United Methodist Church. But God is also holy and just, the scriptures teach. The word judge or judgment occurs in the Bible about 400 times. 400. The scriptures are clear. The righteous judge of the universe, the everlasting God, the creator of all things... He will make sure that every human being is dealt with fairly 
and will, will receive their just desserts. And again, we're not talking about pecan or pumpkin pie. In the New Testament, there are two acts of judgment that are frequently talked about. The first one is addressed in Revelation 20, the great white throne judgment. It's also called the final judgment. And this is reserved for those who say no to Christ, who do not say yes to God's gift of salvation that is offered to them in Jesus. But the other, the judgment seat of Christ, is what Paul is talking about here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. And it's, it's a neglected subject, quite frankly. I try to preach on it every three to four years because I need to hear it. I need to hear that God will hold me accountable for how faithfully I fulfill my calling and my life of discipleship for Christ. Uh, one of the highlights of our recent pilgrimage uh, to the Holy Land and to many of the places where Paul uh, did his, his church planning, his missionary journeys, was a visit to the ancient city, Greek city of Corinth. And since the 1800s, archaeologists have been uncovering and restoring parts of this ancient city that go all the way back to the first century and even earlier. I've been there twice now counting this most recent visit, and, and I'm enthralled by it. I love it. And one of the things that it does for me is, it, it, is that it reinforces this historicity of the Christian faith. Christianity is not a storybook of, of myths. Uh, these were real flesh and blood people who lived in real time. And these places they talk about that they visited where they started churches are real places that increasingly have been uncovered, unearthed, and better understood because of archaeology. We walked on the same paving stones, the very same street that the Apostle Paul would have walked on in the first century. According to the book of Acts, Paul was in Corinth at least three times during his ministry. And uh, he spent nearly five years of his life there, uh, planning a church, uh, teaching the disciples, developing leaders, and, and growing this church into the vibrant church that it soon became. In Acts 18... Paul was accused by a mob of Jews of perverting the law of Moses. So they brought him before the Roman proconsul over Corinth, whose name was Gallio. You can read about it in the book of Acts. And, and Paul was taken to a place called the Bema. This is a close-up photograph of this stone platform with a sign on it. And it was equivalent, roughly equivalent, to a modern-day public square and courthouse. Uh, the Greek word bima appears several times in the New Testament. It literally means a, a step or a raised place. Here, here's a, a more distant view of the bema in Corinth. Uh, Dr. Ben Witherington is on it. He is teaching us and uh, all those pilgrims that, that were touring through Corinth are there on the ground below. And then the Acro-Corinth, where a temple was located during the time of Paul uh, to Aphrodite, is there on the top of this 2,000 foot plus 
uh, rock outcropping. It's amazing. There's a crusader fort there today. <coughs> In later Judaism, the Bema, spelled B-I-M-A-H, uh, in Judaism, <coughs> Someone say a prayer for me. <coughs> oh, I caught a cold. The last day of our trip. I'm still struggling with a lot of this congestion in my throat. But in uh, Orthodox Judaism, the Bema is a platform that's located in the center of the synagogue where the Torah is read. During the Roman Empire, the Bema was a platform sometimes called tribunal. You see this in the scripture as well, which was used by officials to pronounce both rewards and punishments. It was akin to what we do at banquets today, where we gather people together and we give a trophy or an award to someone who has made major contributions to the community. <coughs> well, that's one of the things that happened at the Bema. But there was also these punishments that were meted out. Now, in both Matthew 27, verse 19, and John 19, 13, the Gospels tell us that Pilate sat on the judgment seat. The word in the Greek is uh, the bema. And it was there on the seat of judgment that he decided what to do with Jesus. And the official sat on an ornate folding chair that was called a curl. And here's a picture of one, of an antique one. They still make these things in modernized versions today, but they neatly folded up and they were carried with the official wherever he went to uh, preside at some kind of proceeding, as he did with Paul uh, at Caesarea when he appealed to Rome, and then here uh, prior to that in Corinth at the Bema. And whenever the emperor or the governor or the proconsul uh, went, they could take along this portable throne, which appears interestingly, on many ancient Roman coins that have been unearthed. Um, go to the next slide there, Danny, and you see a picture of one. Uh, and it's easy to make out. You see the Bema seat, and then there's this uh, laurel wreath made of olive branches that was a symbol of victory. The Bema was a place where athletes were awarded um, achievement. In, in athletics. Here's Michael Phelps, the most decorated Olympian in history, who has 23 gold medals in swimming, and he has on his head one of these laurels, which signifies victory. In writing to the Corinthians, Paul uses this very powerful cultural image that people understood throughout the Roman Empire, this place of judgment, the bema, a, a word that was rich in meaning. He uses this to describe the judgment that every believer will incur. Some say at the time of death, some say at the end of time. Regardless, every follower of Jesus 
will face this. That key verse in verse 10 says this, For all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may receive recompense for what has been done in the body, in your physical body, while here on earth, whether good or evil. And the one who is on the bema, who is seated uh, there in the place of judgment, is Jesus Christ himself. And he is the one who will reveal to us the deeds that have been good and useful for, for his purposes and will reward us for that, but there will be those useless, worthless, evil deeds that will be a part of loss. Now, the Corinthians were, were highly critical of the Apostle Paul. They didn't like him. Uh, he was not nearly as handsome or as charismatic or as gifted an orator as some. Uh, they didn't always agree with his message. They questioned his motivations. Uh, Paul spent much of 2 Corinthians defending his, his calling and his apostolic office. He makes it very, very clear that he will be vindicated by God one day to be genuine and authentic when Christ is seated upon this judgment seat. He also tells these overcritical Corinthians, and every church has them, every one, including this one, he tells them, you won't escape God's scrutiny either. And it's a call to self-examination, to look at our lives, no doubt about it. The American politician and order Daniel Webster wrote in the 19th century, the greatest thought that has ever entered my mind is that one day I will have to stand before a holy God and give an account of my life. Webster was a member of Congress. Can you imagine someone in Congress saying that today? But, but, but you, you say to me, uh, I thought our sins were once and for all forgiven, were decisively dealt with at the cross. Yes, yes, absolutely, you are right. We are all saved by grace, not by our works. Be very clear here. Paul says in, in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. The judgment that Paul is talking about here in 2 Corinthians is not about whether we will be saved or not, or whether we are part of God's kingdom. It's about our faithfulness in fulfilling all that God purposes, all that God plans for us when we decide to follow Jesus. In Ephesians 2, Paul goes on in verse 10 to say this, For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. So the fruitfulness of a life well lived, the faithfulness of someone who does good works in Jesus' name, that will not be forgotten. God takes notice of that, and that person will, in fact, receive reward. Now, the judgment of the believer is consistent with what Paul also writes 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, in his first letter to the church, when he talks about those whose life, life's work is built on a false foundation. Paul says that if the work is inferior, it will be destroyed by God's judgment. But Paul says in verse 15, he says, if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer loss. He's talking about believers here. The builder will suffer loss. The builder will be saved, but only as through fire. This scene that's on the screen right now is one from um, a video that was taken by a family as they escaped from Paradise, California last November during those horrific fires that destroyed over 8,000 homes and businesses in that community. 95% of Paradise was obliterated. 49 people lost their lives. And in this powerful video, uh, someone is praying for God to help them, to God, for God to save them. The car was getting incredibly hot. You couldn't even touch the windows as they drove through this fire to safety. And this is exactly the kind of image that Paul is using to talk about the judgment of the believer. The builder will be saved, but only as through fire. Because of the gracious work of Jesus on the cross, Christians do not face judgment for our sins. He has atoned for those sins. He has taken those sins into his life upon the cross. But we do give an account of our lives before God. If we are faithful, if we are faithful, the judgment seat of Christ will be a place of reward, a place of rejoicing, a place of recognition. The more faithful we are with what God has entrusted to us, the greater the reward we will receive. And this, this seems to be the point of the parable of the talents in the teaching of Jesus in Luke chapter 19. I love what the late Irma Bombeck, the, uh, the comedian, some of us are old enough to remember her. She was on Good Morning America uh, from time to time. She wrote so many humorous and wonderful books, but she loved the Lord. And she said this near the end of her life. She said, when I stand before God at the end of my life, I would hope that I would not have a single bit of talent left and could say, I used everything you gave me. Everything you gave me. I've been faithful with, with all of the spiritual gifts, the life experiences, the vocational skills, uh, the financial resources that God had entrusted to me. That by my own hard work and initiative and, and plus the overwhelming grace of God, I was able to achieve and to receive into my life that, that I have used those things well and God has taken note of that. I have not squandered my life in any way. This is one of the reasons why we challenge you to make a financial commitment to the church every year. It's not just because we need money. Uh, it's not that we're, we're just asking for money. We are inviting you into a life of faithful discipleship that God will reward, that God will bless. And the more generous and more faithful you are, the greater the blessing and reward that will come. Do you believe that? This is the teaching of God's word. 
And this is why we plead for you at times to be involved in service opportunities, in ministries in our church. Uh, this, is, this is why we want you to be involved in the city of Bethlehem for the witness to our community, but also the blessing that will come to you while you're involved in it, but also the treasure. Folks, the scripture teaches we lay up treasure, literally have treasure, reward laid up in heaven for us when we are faithful to God and live our lives fully for him. We are saved for God's purposes now, not simply for a promise of heaven and eternal life. We are saved for God to use our lives. Christ is in me the hope of glory for his spirit's fruit and power and gifts to be released in my life to impact others. Your temporary life here on earth is preparation for eternal life in heaven. And you know what? It's never too late to prepare. It's never too late to make changes. In light of this coming day of accountability, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, we make it our aim to please the Lord. To please God. We crave justice. I mean, we, we, we long for accountability, especially for others. We want fairness. One day, one day we shall all get our just desserts. What will yours be?